nearly worth it to speak, that you can take off your mask. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, just first of all, Happy New Year to you all. I'm sure we're full of great anticipation, looking forward to the new year. Maybe you've made resolutions, you've great plans, nice things plans, um, projects. Maybe you're thinking, book a nice holiday. Or maybe not. Maybe you, like me, find it hard to look ahead um, and have a vision for the future, have a vision for the next year. And if you know me and you've spent more than 10 minutes with me over the last couple of months, you have my permission to roll your eyes and say, oh no, here she goes again. Because I have been airing my inner angst about um, how the pandemic has changed things and I, for one, have been struggling a bit with um, just to get a perspective on things and to get vision and to be able to see ahead. So I keep asking everybody else in the hope that you will give me some input. But it finally occurred to my lightning fast, <clears throat> excuse me, fast brain that this is something I could actually pray about. And I sort of thought, well, what am I praying? And came to the conclusion I was asking the Lord, how do we prosper in this time of pandemic? And by prosper, I don't mean make loads of money. I mean, how do we build strong, healthy lives that enable us to walk um, in turbulent times, in times when everything is changing? So I would like to show you a list of five things that we need to do to prosper in times of pandemic. I would love to show you that, but I don't have a list. I don't have five things. I don't get that sort of revelation from God. And in fact, what I get is the same thing as I've got for the last couple of years. I'm a bit of a slow learner. Um, but I felt the Lord saying again, very emphatically, you need to have your spiritual eyes open and you need to see life from my perspective. Um, the Bible uses a word, the word carnal, and it, the word carnal really means just of the flesh. Now, I know we've developed it to mean something inherently sinful, but originally it just means of the flesh, things that are natural and spiritual, um, not necessarily sinful, just earthly, just physical. And I like to use that word for, to me, it's a nice, tidy word to describe a mindset that is really oblivious to spiritual things. When we have a carnal mindset, we just look on life from, you know, our norm, our five senses, from what we see about us, from what we've learned growing up. Um, and in a way, that's being carnal. And I, for one, have practiced being carnal for a very long time. From my first breath as a baby, I've learned to relate to the world um, through my natural senses. I've learned as I went on how I fit in, how the world operates. I've been well-schooled and conditioned in this world. And I suppose when it comes to being carnal, I'm quite the expert. But when it comes to being spiritual, I've been a Christian in a long time, but I still find my spiritual senses, my spiritual um, perspective sometimes to be woefully inadequate. I think it comes from lack of use. And this is what the Lord was really highlighting to me. I notice that in some days I nearly make a decision that I'll just live as a natural, ordinary person 
with a hotline to heaven in case things get a bit awkward and I need help. And you know what? I realise when I say it out like that, that's a totally, a totally ridiculous, excuse me, ridiculous way for a child of God to live. Totally ineffective, totally inadequate. It will never cut it to live like that through changing times and times of crisis. It never cuts it at any time. But sometimes we think we get away with it. Just walking as a carnal person with a bit of spiritual help from time to time. I need to be led by the Spirit. I need to walk by the Spirit, see in the Spirit, be filled in the Spirit. All those biblical terms that when you rattle them off sound a little vague or a little elusive or even a little spooky. But they are the essence of what being a Christian is all about. I'm a spiritual being as well as being physical and I need to walk in the appropriate environment. The spiritual realm is not an alternative reality to the physical realm that we all move about in. The spiritual realm is not spooky, scary or spectacular like we would learn from books or movies. From beginning to end, the Bible depicts the spiritual realm as being immediate to and as real as this physical world. There is much more going on than what we can see with our physical eyes, and we all know that. But this is why we have the Holy Spirit inside us, that we can learn what it is to live as spiritual people in a physical world. And the Holy Spirit does not come to make us weird or flaky. He comes to make us like Jesus. And you know, Jesus lived in the physical world, but he was 100% connected to the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. The problem is my carnal senses, my skills and intelligence, which have served me quite well in the normal work world, cannot recognize, interpret, or access the spiritual world. They just can't. Now, we can learn about it, we can read about it, and talk about it, and debate about it. But actually, to become spiritual is the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, Um, Paul's writing here and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having your heart, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? When I started to think about sight and seeing and seeing in the spiritual realm, you know, the Bible is full of it, starting from Adam and Eve, full of stories about how people's sight had to be adjusted, what they saw, what they didn't see. And we're going to read um, together, if you have your Bible with you or your phone or whatever, and we're going to read a passage that is really about sight, It's in 2 Kings 6 and verses 15 to 23. 2 Kings 6, 15 to 23. It's a very well-known story, and I think we talked about it in church not too long ago. But we're breaking into the story of Elisha. Elisha the prophet and his servant Gehazi, 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 Gehazi. And I'm very pleased that in this passage, 
It mightn't be him at all, because it doesn't call him by name, you. It just calls him the servant. So that's what I'm going to do, to just refer to him as the servant. But Elisha is the one who watched his mentor, Elijah, operate under the Spirit of God. And he thought, I want to be like that. I want that double portion. And he pursued it, and God gave it to him. And he was a man of great supernatural power. He received supernatural revelation from the Lord about lots of things. He advised kings. He operated miracles. He saw a dead child raised from the dead. He was a man you wouldn't want to cross. Um, I love the story, though I'm not sure what to make of it, when he's going up to Bethel and it says a crowd of young boys come out and they shout at him and they call him Baldy and he gets cross and he curses them and two female bears come out and maul 42 of them. And, you know, I, I really admire Elisha's authority and as a teacher of small boys some time ago, that was an authority I longed to know. But we join the story when the king of Syria was coming to attack the king of Israel. And the king of Syria would make a devious plan to come with an element of surprise and make an attack. But the problem was the Lord revealed that plan to Elisha and Elisha revealed it to the king of Israel. So when the attack took place, there was no surprise. And after a while, the king of Syria began to think, there's a traitor close to me because someone is telling even my closest thoughts to the enemy. But his servants were able to say, no, it's just Elisha, and tell him about Elisha's gift. And the king of Syria makes a decision that he'll go then. And instead of attacking the king of Israel, he'll go and get, um, not arrest, just capture Elisha. And so Elisha and his servant are in Dothan, and the king sends a, what they call a great army to go and get Elisha. So we join um, the story in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man to whom, um, whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, right to the king of Israel. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, 
He sent them away, and they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids to the land of Israel. This whole story revolves around what people could see, or indeed what they couldn't see. So first of all, we have the servant who gets up on a normal day in Dothan, heads out to do his morning tasks, and when he lifts his eyes and looks, everything changes. He was well able to spot that that was a Syrian army, and he could quickly work out, Elisha's probably the most prominent person in Dothan, they're here for him. And his life, the servant's life, was inextricably linked to Elisha's, so he knew his life was in danger. And he reacted as any ordinary person would. He identified a real and present danger. He saw no way out of the situation, and he was engulfed with fear and anxiety. And let's be honest, if we'd been there, we probably would be the same. It takes a lot less than a Syrian army coming to get me to put me into a flap, a total flap. But sometimes, for some of us, even the whiff of the threat of danger can lame and disable us and leave us really um, a prey to anxiety. Um, we leave our joy and our hope open to be taken away from us altogether. And I think this is very evident in this time of pandemic, where even if you aren't physically ill or you're not in physical lockdown, you feel your inner life slightly squeezed or constricted. Um, but even by the worry of what's going to happen or the uncertainty of what's going on, we feel that we're living under threat a bit. In this story, the servant is in a state of terror and he cries to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And I wonder what you would have done in Elisha's shoes. How would you have helped the servant? Or if you have a friend who's in real distress because they're facing an awful situation, what would you do for them? I would imagine we would pray, maybe pray for courage and strength, maybe pray for a miraculous um, deliverance for them. Those would be good. Those would be proper prayers. But Elisha comes after it from a different perspective. And first of all, he speaks words, and they're wonderful words. He says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those are beautiful words, and words I'm sure a lot of us have got strength from. But you know what? I think at this time, the servant probably couldn't receive those words because of the state that he was in. His perspective was filled with this mighty army that was coming straight for him. And I'm sure some of us have been there, maybe many times, that when you the enemy is screaming at you in full volume, your circumstances are screaming at you with full volume, your emotions have run away with you, sometimes even the words of God just go straight over your head. For example, if you're facing a really serious situation and you're very afraid and you open your Bible and you read the words of Jesus that say, do not let your heart be troubled, you can go, what? How am I expected to feel? Are you saying to ignore this problem? Are you telling me to live in denial? What am I meant to do with those words? 
In stressful times, we can easily fall into old, familiar, carnal ways, judging everything by what we see and by what we feel and by our physical experiences. And I think this story spoke to me and said, when the word of God sounds like pie in the sky, when it sounds too good to be true, there's the time to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and help you see beyond the physical. Or when our physical circumstances seem to contradict the word of God and we suspect, well, maybe this verse is badly translated or maybe it holds the truth that we're only going to see in heaven or maybe it's just not true. That's the time to pause and say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Help me see spiritual truth. And Elisha prays that for the servant. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I just want to say this morning, if you're in that situation, if you see a massive problem, you see no way out and the anxiety and the fear are just flooding into you, you know, you need to press pause and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and better still ask someone to pray for you because the truth is what will change you and the truth is that God has not been taken by surprise in any situation. God is not crying, God is not depressed even if you are, he's not anxious or afraid, excuse me, these are words God spoke to me not long ago, so it's just hit me. He's not unsure of what to do. He's, he's still the all-seeing, the all-powerful God. He's still full of love and joy and peace. He hasn't changed. And sometimes even that can make him seem quite remote and distant and untouched by our plight. But the truth is, and we need to hear that, that that God is actually inside us. This is better than have being surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. It's that God that is inside us. He indwells us and that changes everything. Elisha appears to take the whole Syrian army crisis in a stride. There seems to be no fear or panic in him. And you might say that's because he was a special man. He was Elisha. And we always think that, oh, they're special. They've got a special gift from God. They don't feel this. But have you ever wondered, did Elisha actually see the horses and chariots of fire with his own physical eyes? We don't know, but we know that it seems to be he was sure they were there. He was sure beyond doubt. And with that assurance, Elisha didn't need to call a day of prayer to ask for God's protection. I'm not saying that's wrong, but he didn't need to do it because he knew he had it already. I suppose that assurance reminds me of the deep assurance some of us, most of us, all of us maybe, have um, for salvation. You know that if you die, or do you know that if you die today, you're going to heaven? And if you do know that, how do you know it? We don't have a heaven passport on our phones. We don't have any documentation. 
you can say, well, I've got the Bible and promises in the Bible. How do you know that those are going to hold? We hook our whole eternal destiny on something. And a lot of us don't need to even think or worry about it anymore. And it's because the Holy Spirit has given us that assurance that we are his child. It says in Romans 8, verse 16, The Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And for some of us, it took us a bit of wrangling to get to that point that we knew that assurance. And maybe you're not there yet, but there is that assurance that we know, that we know, that we know we are God's. And we know that when we die, we're going to heaven. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to reveal what Jesus has done to us. And not just give us a list or give us a theological summary, but to take those truths and give us a deep assurance that they're true, that we can live on them with assurance and without fear. In John 16, there's a verse I really like. It says, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm telling you this and you don't understand. And if you read the passage, it's quite clear. Some of them have problems. But he says, I will send the Holy Spirit. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to come and teach us and to assure us of what we have in Jesus and who Jesus is in us. And it's really important that we build into our lives what we definitely know God has done for us. It's a bit of a journey. But if we all, if we leave it all just sort of loose and hoping and praying and wishing that this is going to be true, we will find ourselves spending a long or a lot of time pursuing God for things that he's already given us. Now I know the Father loves to hear prayers, even the feeblest ones, even the silly ones. But maybe we should start by asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to lead us into those truths and make them true in us. We can know that sense of peace that Elisha had demonstrated in the face of a Syrian army. It's a very big sentence. But we can find the space to ask the Lord for a plan to navigate the crisis. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Read that with your carnal mind and it is ridiculous. Read it with your spiritual mind and it can make total sense. When we see who Christ is in us. And he says, you're going to have trouble, that's a given, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. I'm not going to talk about the Syrian army, who God blinded them. Did he blind them totally? And Elisha led a whole totally blind army, or did he adjust their sight that they were blind to the reality of their situation? And then he opened their sight again when they were in, with the king of Israel. Let you think about that. But this whole story tells us that how we deal with things depends on what we see. So how do we prosper in this time of pandemic? I leave that for you to come up for five things that we could do. But for me, 
I know I need to learn to see with my spiritual eyes. And I need to learn to see from God's perspective. And I feel God invites us yet again to step into this marvellous adventure with him, learning to navigate the world as ordinary people, but filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just for our own benefit, but for the many people around us who are living, to be honest, without a glimpse of hope. And we don't want to be a church that just offers sympathy and support, though those are good. We don't want to be people who are just restricted to providing help in the physical realm. But we want to be people who see beyond the physical and can bring spiritual answers to the people around us. And we want to be people, as it says in the Bible, who know their God and do exploits. Let's pray. Lord, as we prayed at the start, we pray again. Would you open our eyes, Father, and help us to see the wonderful riches that you've put in us. Holy Spirit, would you come and give us assurance that those are things we can lean on in times of crisis, that we can know what you've done for us. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who's facing a big problem, who's scared, who finds the future hard to look at. And I just pray that by your spirit, you may open their eyes and give them clear spiritual sight, that they may see you, that they may see you inside them, Lord, and that they may find a way to walk through their crisis. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.